0: Hey everyone, this is Jeremy Taché, and this is Miami Mic'd Up, presented by Cold Blue Vodka. If you haven't tried Cold Blue yet, head over to your nearest Total Wine or select Sam's Club's locations to pick up an ice sculpture bottle. It's the perfect refreshing drink to enjoy on its own or in your favorite summer cocktails. Mojitos, Bloody Marys, Martinis, Moscow Mules, and more. Cold Blue Vodka is gluten-free, crafted from American-sourced corn, and distilled 8 Times. I actually tried Cold Blue for the first time a few weeks ago and have recommended it to a ton of my friends. Easy to sip on, enjoyable, and best part, no hangover the next day. Our friends over at Cold Blue Vodka gave us a promo code for our listeners. So head over to coldbluevodka.com and use the code Cold Blue Vodka for 20% off. That's one word C O L B L E U. V-O-D-K-A for 20% off your online order. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Miami mic Up with Jeremy Taché here on Bally Sports Florida. It's an honor to be doing this, and I'm so excited to get started. But first, joining me uh, in, in the sidekick chair today to start uh, this episode is Eric Esteban. Eric, how you doing today? What's going on and, and how excited are you for this podcast?
1: I am doing well. Let me say that the honor is all mine, first <laughs> of all, to be here on the My Mic'd Up podcast with Jeremy Tachet. Uh, today is a long time coming. I think for a lot of us here at the network who have been working on this project over the course of the summer, uh, for you professionally, as you've uh, joined Bally sports now for quite some time and been able to cover the heat for us for a season and working into Marlins. I think there's just general good buzz and excitement about this project, this podcast, and being able to talk about the Miami sports scene a little bit, uh, in depth using our, our partnership and our rights. So very excited about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing obviously I'm most excited about here is just to give everybody an opportunity to to hear some more stories within the sports community here in South Florida. And I think that, like you mentioned, us being partners with these teams in the Miami Heat and the Miami Marlins and the Florida Panthers, these are teams that obviously the folks down here love. And And to me, this can be a space for us to get to learn more and more about the players and even the analysts who cover these teams as well. So I'm hoping we can use... Miami mic'd up as a means to do that. The seat that Eric is sitting in right here. Hopefully, it will be Eric most weeks, but this will <laughs> likely be a rotating chair. So if if you if you want to remember Andy Richter from Conan oh, wow. O'Brien, wow. or 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 you want to say even Ian Carmel right now on uh, the Late Show with James Corden, you know th- that rotating sidekick chair. But but we'll see who's sitting there uh, week to week. But Eric, um, before we get. This episode rolling with Jazz and with Izzy, um, who are coming up. We've got Jazz Chisholm Jr. and Israel Gutierrez, I guess. I probably should have teased that at the beginning. Spoiler Spoiler alert for Uh, those of you who are listening. Spoiler alert. Uh, But with Jazz Chisholm and and Izzy coming up, a question I want to start with with you here. We'll start every episode uh, moving forward with this question, and we'll ask all of our athletes and analysts the same thing. Outside of the workplace... What is something that brought you joy this week
1: outside of the workplace? Something that brought me joy. Okay, I will. Uh, I will skew and lean towards. Uh, let's do. Uh, football. There's a little bit of football back in the air, as we heard from uh, you know just different news and notes. We saw this morning uh, Tim Tebow got cut. I'm not sure what Urban is thinking about that. (laughs) I personally had him in the Pro Bowl and was looking forward to... Yeah, for those
0: of you who don't know, Eric is a gator, okay, (laughs) if it wasn't already clear.
1: Like I said, Tim Tebow is going to be the the linchpin of my fantasy football team this year, and for that to just kind of fall apart... You're Uh, already
0: turning off (laughs) half of our (laughs) fantasy.
1: Stop me when I tell a lie. Famous uh, (laughs) famous quote there, but no. uh, Football being back. It's in the air, and obviously being in South Florida and Florida, you can't turn around without missing it. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting out to a high school football game this Friday, kickoff mm-hmm. classic Jamboree, so I'm going out to one of those as a fan. Um, but just a general sense, there's scrimmages, there's preseason, fantasy drafts, just the season. You yep. know? So I'm very excited uh, about that, and that's bringing me joy. Um, but I will be uh, thinking about the Tebow family this morning. I'm sure they'll be okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the Tebows are going to be just. Fine. (laughs) having having high school football around is something that's exciting. And uh, for those of you who don't know, we do have a show here on Valley Sports Florida called Under the Lights. Um, That will be debuting very soon as well. Um, And I'll be a part of that. Really looking forward to to covering high school football down here as well. Um, And from my perspective, I just have to say, like, other than than this moment. uh, Well, I'll I'll say instead, I'm going to use this moment. I'm going to I'm going to focus on the workplace for a second. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity from you and from everybody else here at Bally Sports Florida. I know this is reflective on a first-ever episode, so to get all, you know, droning on about myself, but this is a cool moment, and, and I love South Florida sports so much. Um, like I said before, I've grown up watching these teams and caring about these teams, and I know how important the coverage has been down here for me over the last 20 years in shaping the sports fan I became and ultimately— the sports media member that I am right now, and so if this podcast can have anything to do with that, um, that you know, for anybody else, that would be really wonderful. Sure. But then on the flip side, just to get to be around these teams is really, really special, and to be speaking today with Jazz Chisholm Jr., who is a a star and a future star in this market, and Israel Gutierrez, who obviously is, you know, he's someone who I've looked up to in this industry for a really long time. It's it's just a special moment to be able to share that here in South Florida with sure. my family and friends is, is pretty surreal. I so. think
1: that's uh, something that we want this to be is authentic and local. And I think we've all seen uh, some photos of you wearing starter gear <laughs> and uh, Looney Tunes with the Florida Marlins oh, logo. Yeah. I mean, we all grew up on, the, on those. Authentic o- and
0: local is something I those. could be. And
1: I think that's really what we want to try and communicate here. I mean, uh, much like yourself, I grew up down here uh, and I grew up watching these networks that were previously mm-hmm. the Fox Sports Regional Networks and now Bally Sports, a rebrand that we started with opening day on April 1st so these networks as we formerly knew them and sunshine networks so many people listening to this show hopefully grew up watching these networks and for us to be able to um you know present this podcast and have some longer form conversations it speaks to the brand it speaks to hopefully Valley sports and where we're going covering our local teams here but we're very excited and i really can't wait to get this going
0: and before we get to our first interview with Jazz Chisholm Jr., we do have to take a quick break here from our first episode of Miami Miked Up to talk about our awesome partners, Cold Blue Vodka. You guys will recognize them from their unique ice sculpture bottle and premium taste. Cold Blue Vodka is gluten free, produced from corn, and distilled eight times to maximize flavor and quality. If you need some drink inspiration this summer, how about the Cold Blue Blueberry Mojito? Fill your glass with crushed ice, sparkling water, four ounces of cold blue vodka, and a splash of lime juice. Stir in one teaspoon of sugar, half a cup of fresh pureed blueberries, and eight to ten torn mint leaves. And you have a refreshing drink to enjoy with your friends. Grab your bottle at Total Wine and select Sam's Club's locations. Again, that's Miami Mike Up's presenting sponsor, cold blue vodka, redefining the blue-collar lifestyle. So here on Miami mic Up, we have our first ever interview, and it's fitting that it's with a guy who is one of the young stars in this market. It's Jazz Chisholm Jr. who joins us today from the Miami Marlins. Jazz, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Doing well, man. Well, I think that's actually a, a good place for us to start because uh, the first question I'm going to be asking every athlete that comes in, every interview that comes in, no matter what, is going to be, what is something... Recently, off the field, that has brought you some joy.
2: Mm. That's a good question. Thanks, man. <laughs> I would say I just bought a new car.
0: Bought a new car. What type of car did you get?
2: Uh, AMG GT sixty
0: three. There you go, man. You're doing you're doing real things here.
2: Uh. Not really.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that being said, buying a new car, that's something you're doing here as a big leaguer because you're in position to do so. And, you know, being on the field as a big leaguer now, you know, you've been in and out of the lineup a little bit, had some injuries, had to deal with, with with um, you know, being on the COVID list and, and everything that's come with that. But you're back on the field and you've hit back to back upper deck shots over the last couple of days. You're locked in. Can you describe what it feels like when you're locked in on that level at the major league level?
2: Um, I mean, it just feels like you're floating on clouds at that point. You know, like in the minor leagues, it was just like, oh yeah, I was doing this in high school and then in the minor leagues. So it's like kind of the same. It's not the same as the big leagues. But when you come up in the big leagues and you do it, it's just like, wow, I'm floating on clouds. I'm really out here living my dream right now. Like, You used to go in the backyard and like pick up like a stick and throw up rocks and dream of hitting back to back home runs and games, you know, like stuff like that. So it's kind of sick.
0: Well, and when you're playing at the big league level like this, you know, obviously huh?
2: It's already a dream.
0: Well, that's what I'm that's exactly what I was about to delve into, is you've talked forever. I mean, since since we met you when you were still in the minor leagues when you first got traded here to the Marlins, you've always talked about how baseball has been your dream and specifically you talked about the influence of your grandma, your grandma, Pat and, and the influence that she had on you there when it comes to baseball. So a couple of questions, number one, what type of influence did she have on you? But number two, do you think having a strong matriarchal influence? So a strong female leader in your family influenced the type of guy that you are, whether that's off the field or on the field.
2: Um. Yeah, I feel like it does. I feel like she just, she just groomed me into being a, a man first. You know what I mean? Like, and being a gentleman in everything I do. So, like, I feel like that's why, like, you know how when you're younger and your parents would be like, all the gentlemen were always so smooth because they were always dress up in the suits and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's the same way with me. Like, as a gentleman, you got to be smooth. And you could be a gentleman on the baseball field and be smooth on the baseball field. You know what I mean? Like, it all comes into place from just being a gentleman and learning just life from – people that are older than you or that's already lived it, you know?
0: Well, you talk about being smooth. Your style obviously has to go right into that. How how does your style allow you to express who you are?
2: I mean, like, I just feel like I just put it out there for everybody to see, you know? Like, I go out there and I show you who I am without hesitating, you know? Like, that's one thing I feel like I tried, like hesit- like, not being hesitant, but, like, I tried covering up who I was to try and be someone I wasn't at point the time. And I probably had my worst season ever at that year. And then as soon as I started, just like, I realized I got to be me and just, just show who I am and just be who I am without trying to put it in a small box. You know what I mean? Like, not trying to be too much, trying to just be that right enough. But like, if that doesn't work for me, I got to just let it all explode out and be myself.
0: Well, that being said, when you say you were trying to sort of squeeze yourself into a box, is that something in terms of on field flair was that who you were off the field what What did that mean when you said you were you know you struggled was that was that an on field thing
2: I mean like right now, I'm being me, but I feel like I'm more mature and I know what to do and what not to do now when I was younger in the minor leagues, you know like just going out there, being 170 pounds, hitting 25 <laughs> yeah. like in the minor leagues, like, and letting people know from when that wasn't even a thing to do, you know, like, first homer in the in professional baseball was, like, my first or second at bat or something at home, first at bat at home, and just, like, went deep and did a whole walk to first <laughs> base, you know, like, 18 years old. The whole thing, right. Won the whole thing, but, like, and I had to learn, I was trying to learn how to, like not rub people the wrong way you know what I mean and that was really hard for me Mm -hmm. because I was so used to just like in high school hey guys just be yourself do your thing like hitting homers like small kid hitting homers and just pimping it and doing his thing out there you know making plays and not caring and showing off you know what I mean like that was always me so when I came into professional baseball and they told me like I gotta stop doing that Mm. it, it was hard to transition to especially like when they told me to stop doing it, you know what I mean? Like, I was like 21 at that point, and they told sure. me, Hey, we need you to like become a big leaguer now. Like, you're it's about to be time to call you up, and we need you to like cut down on too much of the flair and too much of this. But when I was doing the flair, that's when I do my thing and I and play my game and I stay right. smooth. But when I'm not, it's just like all tight and mechanical, and I can't do stuff.
0: Well, you're not the only guy in the bigs who's that way, right? You have you, you have Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna Jr., all these guys with personality. And in the last few years, but I feel like almost particularly this year, we've seen baseball really embrace that in in a real way. How do you think that that guys like you, guys obviously at their stature of Acuna, Tatis, some of these other guys that play with flair, how do you think that they can sort of transcend just from baseball superstardom back to the superstardom that you know some of the guys from when you were growing up and I was growing up had that that major stardom
2: like that's what i really want baseball to become like i want baseball to become like when you're walking into the field they got guys taking pictures of you and posted and being like oh my god like look at this guy with the drip today or oh like you just saw uh let's say a Ronald lacunha goes sit and side at a basketball game. Mm. Oh, Ronald lacunha's in the building and they like and everybody should know who that is because Ronald Lacuna is a superstar. Right. Like that's what I'm trying to say. Like that's what baseball should be like when LeBron James would be on the TV talking about like I wanted to be like Ken Griffey Jr. Like, what? Like hear mm-hmm. a you know, basketball player say that? That's like that's like dope. Like
0: Yeah, that was the guy, right?
2: Yeah. So like I want to be someone who basketball player would be like, yeah. I want it to be like like Jazz Chisholm, like, I love Chisholm out there smooth as ever. I yeah, want like him, like, and but he's a basketball superstar, and then that would be like cool. And then we beat up, probably let him come hit some BP one day or something like, and then everybody's together, and then it's like a whole city comes together.
0: So I was going to save this for the end, but I'll I'll sneak it in here since you mentioned basketball yourself. I, I wanted to give you a space to just fire off whatever your hottest basketball takes are, whether that's your favorite players, whether that's that's, you know, the upcoming season, free agency, anything that's happened. Here's a space for you to become a basketball analysis. You know, we here at Bally are always looking for those. So so what do you got?
1: <laughs> All right. So I
2: got uh, the Hornets are going to be decent this year. Um, okay. I'm following the Hornets because of Kai Jones. He's from the Bahamas, a good friend of mine. Um, LaMelo Ball was my favorite player before he even made it in the league, and I called the Rookie of the Year for that one.
0: And you wore that jersey when you debuted the uh, the blue hair. It's all synergy here.
2: I'm just showing. I'm just saying. Like, I called it. And then, like, Le'Angelo Ball, he's going to roll out too. So I'm excited to see what they do. The Lakers, oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh. That's going to be scary. I'm going to just say this. This is going to be my final basketball match for the day. Okay. It's going to be the Nets and the Lakers.
0: The Nets and the Lakers in the finals? Yeah. Yeah, you're a real risk taker here, Jazz. Yeah, that's really not predictable whatsoever. Yeah. All right, so let me get just a couple more questions in with you, and then we'll let you go uh, prep for today's game. Mm -hmm. you're really obviously labeled as the shortstop of the future here with the Marlins, but there's a shortstop of the presence in Miguel Rojas. And you guys seem to have a really, really great relationship. Could you explain how playing with Miggy has impacted you and what your guys' relationship is like?
2: I mean, before I got to the big leagues, uh, I got traded over here. I was in double A and that was the year that I was really like trying to own in myself you know like trying to get that that uh that me factor and mm-hmm. like i was trying to ball it in and trying to so miggy came up to me and i was just working out like an instructs i guess or something it was something and he was just there and we were there together and we were taking ground balls at shortstop and he just came to me and he was like listen i might not be playing shortstop at the end of the day I could be playing second base and you could be playing shortstop and it doesn't matter flip flop, but you're great. Like don't let nobody stop you from being you. Mm. And like when he did that, he was like, cause I was the same way. Like I tried to be someone I wasn't and it didn't help me. So I just tried to be you, but just tried to make it as professional as possible. You know what I mean? Like, and then when he told me that and we started working together, like I started to trust him more in showing me what to do out there you know miggy is a gold glove shortstop
0: right he's that caliber he's that good
2: gold caliber shortstop so like i mean like i'm I'm gonna take that in especially Mm. after you come and tell me something like that like i know i've heard it many times but like it it's always like you hear it all through your minor league career but like the guys that are playing now, especially the guy that's playing shortstop in the big leagues now, and you're not even in the big leagues. Exactly. Telling you like, Hey, like it doesn't matter where we play. If I play on second base and you're playing shortstop or flip flop, like, like you still got it, bro. Like don't ever think, don't think you can't do this. Like you got you're you can be a gold glove. And yeah, that that's just what put me like in the place to go out there and trust him and to help me and to hone my craft, you know?
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so, You know, you are that shortstop of the future, whether that's next year or or years going forward. But we talk often about the future of the Miami Marlins and the future of baseball here in Miami. And obviously, you know, you guys, you included, would be the first to admit regular season record this season is not what you hoped it would be at this point. But if and when this team has success at the major league level, why will that be? Who will be the factors and why will you guys have success moving forward?
2: I feel like it's going to be the whole team. It's not just going to be one guy. I mean, yeah, you're going to have the guys that are just going nuts and going crazy out there. But, like, you see it in the Brian De La Cruz. You see it in in Jesus Sanchez. You see it in Isan. You see B.A. is really young. He's still here for a couple more years. You see Alex Jackson. Like, I know you're only getting, like, the glimpses right now. But, like, Mm -hmm. as a player, like, when you see – what they got and you see like how this team can come together as one when we just like talk to each other and be together. And I feel like that's what we are doing as a young group as of now, like as of lately, even like, like if a Jesus Sanchez, like swings under a ball, one of us talk to him, like as a teammate,
1: yeah,
2: that's a coach going up to him. Like, that's why I feel like we're going to be really good. Even Lewis Brinson now, like I've been, I know I, I might be repeating what I said in the interview at the beginning, of the, before the season started, but sure. I did say, and I'll repeat this, if Brinson was playing every day, that he's gonna he was going to hit this year. You I did say that. So I'm just saying, like, from what I saw in the offseason, we worked out together every day in the offseason. So, like, what I saw in the offseason, how hard he worked and how hard our guys work every day, Bro, like, this team is going to be a team to, like, really be scared
0: of really soon, I love to hear it and so the final the final question for you before I let you go jazz i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go on any sort of derek Jeter anecdotes we'll we'll get to that next time uh- unless you want to throw them in there but yeah well, so we've spoken before about about your love of the little things in baseball, and i there are some people and even probably listening to this podcast as we're doing you know, multiple different sports here who, who don't quite understand the appeal of baseball. So if you had to sit down with someone who didn't watch baseball, what would be your first selling point into becoming a fan of the game and of the Miami Marlins?
2: Okay. I would just tell them my selling point would just be like, just sit down and watch. Hmm. Just sit down and watch. Just one game. You ain't have to like, I, I'm not a person that likes to like, hey, I'm going to hype this up as much as I can. I would just tell you to sit there and watch, and then you're going to hype it up for yourself. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. But I'm going to show you how much fun I have playing this game, though. So that's why I would just tell you to sit there and watch. Just watch me. And I'm going to do it for you. Trust me. Like,
3: <laughs> I love
2: I it. I don't gonna if it. I strike out four times. You're yep. going to see something you're going to like, and you're going to laugh about it. You're going to have fun. You're going to smile about it. And then you're going to be like, bro, I've got to come watch another one.
0: There's a real fun anecdote uh, about Michael Jordan that when he was playing, he always, in order to motivate himself, even all the way to that last dance season, what he always thought about was there's someone watching the game tonight who's never seen Michael Jordan play. And so I'm going to show them why I'm the greatest to ever do it. And that mentality from you is hopefully something that will carry you to uh, similar levels of baseball success, jazz, Thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed it, man.
2: Of course, bro. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. And thanks again to Jazz Chisholm Jr. for joining us on today's show. Before we get to our conversation with Israel Gutierrez, a reminder that today's episode of Miami Mic'd Up is brought to you by Cold Blue Vodka, redefining the blue collar lifestyle. You guys know we love Cold Blue for its refreshing taste and its smooth finish. Pick up an ice sculpture bottle at your nearest total wine or select Sam's Club locations for all of your end of summer gatherings and events. You can also head over to coldbluevodka.com and use Cold Blue Vodka as the promo code for 20% off. That's one word, C-O-L-B-L-E-U-V-O-D-K-A for 20% off your online order. With Labor Day, boat days, and barbecues coming up, you need to try cold blue vodka for all your favorite mixed drinks. Or chill a bottle and enjoy it all on its own. Thanks again to our amazing partners over at Cold Blue Vodka for sponsoring this episode of Miami mic Up. Now, Israel Gutierrez. <laughs> The one and only Israel Gutierrez. Izzy, thank you so much for joining us. On our first ever episode here, it felt fitting to have you come in. Hey, it's an honor. I love the look. It's uh, it's pretty cool. Thanks, Izzy. Well, uh, the first question that we're going to start with you with is actually uh, the first question that we're going to start every guest with on this podcast. And it actually has nothing to do with sports. It's what's something that brought you joy this week that had nothing to do with sports? Whew, this week doesn't have to be this week, could be this month, could be this year. It's been a weird time. Well,
3: yeah, it was it was a little over a week, but last, uh, a weekend or so ago, um, I was sitting at home. I was actually, it was a Sunday, and I hadn't really shaken off the rust for a Sunday yet. And so I hear, I was just, I think, watching Top Chef free runs, uh, old seasons of Top Chef, and I hear a knock on my door. And I open it up, and I just see my little five-year-old nephew standing there, uh, just sort of with a shy smile on his face. And my entire family was behind him. And uh, my partner, Anthony, had just surprised me by just inviting them all over on a random Sunday. And it Oh, was that's awesome amazing. You know, my nephews are just like, uh, they make me so happy. So that was probably the thing that sort of uh, filled my heart the most lately.
0: Yeah, anything, anything with family is always good. I just yeah. yesterday got to see my brother off to college for... I wow, guess the second he time. He's going to UCF. Okay. Go Knights. Charge on. Looking directly into the camera. Go Knights. Uh, but anything with, uh, you know, involving family can just always be nice yeah. and, and having a familial atmosphere. Um, but yeah, so so getting into a bit about, about your life and your profession, obviously, Izzy, the folks know you from ESPN. Um, you're a sideline reporter for the NBA, but then you also are a part of shows like Around the Horn and Highly Questionable. And... Obviously the last year has been rough on everyone um, but particularly in this field things have been very different and I was just sort of wondering how the last year year and a half has has shaped your coverage and how it's even shaped your perspective on what it is that you do hmm. yeah it's been
3: it's been odd and you know me personally having not been doing as much or any really writing lately it's been all a lot of TV right. and and uh, you know sideline reporting and stuff. So it's it's also just sort of made me reassess everything. So not only is it strange that you know at least even initially where you know ESPN just sent a bunch of lights and microphones <laughs> and stuff to your house and said just put this up and we'll figure out a way. Here's an iPad. This will be your new camera. And that was just all odd and depressing. And it just felt like I was in a Keanu Reeves movie. Just uh, something weird. Yeah. And then you know we sort of advanced and progressed a little bit. And even though we're not like uh we're not at that stage, we're still at the nobody's around me stage because all they did since then was build an actual little studio in my bedroom. Like huh. a third of my bedroom is just lights huh. in the ceiling and you know, a green screen behind me. And a robotic camera that I have to move, you know, every day.
0: I'm gonna have so many follow up questions about that, but continue here. Feel free. <laughs> um and so it's
3: it's just this odd feeling that, you know. At least when you were traveling to a studio, it felt like you were producing something that was, you know, going to be grand. Somebody was going to watch. It was a production, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you knew you were on television, and people watch television. So there you go. You just felt like you were doing something um, of significance. Now, I'm doing it literally from my bedroom. I don't leave. I live in a small condo, um, and you know, don't leave that area, for the most part, unless I need to for an entire day. So it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything that is broadcast to the nation, right? It feels like I'm just doing something and then getting done with it. And then that's my job, you know, so it's just a really weird dynamic. And so and I've actually backed off of a little social media, like I've basically mm-hmm. backed off of Twitter entirely. And uh, I've recognized that that's another connection point, especially to fans. But To me, it's not really worth it. I think it's a net negative right now, so I'm staying off of it. But that also feels a little bit more detached. And so it feels like the only times where I am connected is if I'm actually watching live sporting events. Hmm. Because then, whether or not I'm on Twitter, I don't have to have a second screen or have to have a conversation going. I know that others are watching that and having these conversations. So right. w- whether I can confirm, hey, I just came up with a joke. I wonder if somebody else did or not. I still can feel like, hey, I know people are talking about it. I'm, I'm involved. I'm in- informed. And then, you know, that's the only time really where it feels like the old job. Or if I'm at a game, obviously, that's a whole different right. situation, too. But um, so that's on the studio show side of it, on the like traveling and NBA sideline Um, It's been a roller coaster. Uh, You know, the first several games without any fans was just, uh, again, like an apocalyptic experience, a post-apocalyptic experience. Um, You know, and it was Christmas, too, so it was really odd. Um, And as, you know, going through all the hoops of, you know, testing and uh, with all the traveling and the stress of traveling. I mean, there were times with the testing, honestly, I I know there were rules in place, but, you know there are so many people and there's mm-hmm. so many things that go on in these productions that things can fall through the cracks sometimes and i'm sure you know we did everything we needed to do properly but um it was a bleep show sometimes yeah. and i remember one night uh sitting outside of the arena in milwaukee for an entire first half uh i think it was against dallas uh because my result hadn't come back really? and you know it was mark jones and jeff van gundy were doing the game from home And there was a point where I had been told, just go ahead back to the hotel. We're not going to get it tonight. We'll just finish the game without you. I left, and as I was pulling into my hotel, checked my email one more time. There was my result. Went back to the arena, did the second half of the game. But, Jeremy, nobody asked me for the result. So it's just one of those just odd situations where I feel like it could have been avoided. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, it's just been all crazy. And, you know, when when I hear these NBA players or these – football or baseball players or hockey players talk about everything that they've gone through to win a championship. And you know, the extra, you know, uh, it, there's actual validity to that. Like Mm -hmm. they've gone through more just to have their season completed. And on top of that, win a championship than anybody in our lifetimes, right. And so it should definitely like be commended.
0: Yeah. It it almost reminds me of when we talk about like Ted Williams leaving for the war and coming back in obviously different circumstances, but those obstacles to championships when everybody says, oh, what we overcame, you know, it, sometimes it's hard for for the common person to relate to that. But now we've all gone through something similar, whether it's our professional lives, our personal lives, some more affected than others. But I was intrigued by something you talked about with the connection point mm-hmm. on all of this. And I think that's something that's been so interesting to me over the last year and a half is because we've all been isolated to our homes for a good stretch of this, obviously not not all of it, but professionally, that's been a big part. Those moments like what you talked about, watching live sporting events and connecting with people on social media, those have been major connection points. And it actually, it started with things like The Last Dance before, mm-hmm. you know, before sports actually came right. back. It was, hey, here's some live programming that we're all going to watch together. And so to be able to connect with things like that, what about the satisfaction in this job comes from that connection point with fans? You know, is that something that, that you always saw in this role being something you wanted? Or is it something that's been a bit of a, a perk to journalism?
3: Um, so I would say early on what I thought uh, the way I connected was, all right, if I'm going to be this writer, this person that you trust telling you about this team that you love, um, then I... I'm going to have to earn that trust and I'm really going to have to basically um, see the game the way you guys would want to see it. Right. Mm. So trust me, I know the game, but also I'll show it to you or I'll tell you what you want to know. And I think I just I felt like I understood that, you know, the voice of the fan, if you will. Like I felt like I understood that whole concept, even um, reading you know, newspapers growing up, you know, I'd look at the names, uh, the bylines, you know, how many people actually did that? You know, I would say most people even in college or as a professional, like wouldn't even know who wrote the story. Right. Right. Um, if I would ask uh, somebody who read it, but I would read, you know, I'd look at Steve Weish, who covered the dolphins or Dan Lebatard, who wrote columns right. and be like, man, um, this is the person that I'm trusting to get this information from. And this person is portraying it or giving it to me in in great fashion. And so it's a responsibility because I love sports and I trust this guy or, you know, Linda Robertson, this woman. Sure. Um, and I didn't, you know, so that initially was the way I thought of it. It's like, thank you for trusting me um, to allow you, you know, to be the middleman, right. To, to be the person that now we don't need the middleman as much, the athletes, the teams a lot, tell their own stories directly. But I Thought it was a really big deal, and so that to me was the connection point. And now, you know, I think there's different levels of connection. I think locally, since we're here in Miami, mic'd up, uh, um, right. I think it's an entirely different level of connection. Where you know, I've felt that what I just said with all the, the local folks, you know, coming up, or as I was coming up, but then they also sort of saw me as a voice for them and said, Hey, like, I uh, I want to. Good things to happen to you now. I want you to sort of fly a baby bird and just fly <laughs> right. off and do some big things and and bring us with you. And I think that, in terms of the local connection, I'll always feel. But um, and yeah, I would say you know enjoying the games is is the best way. You know because especially at live games because you know a lot of times the annoying part is when you have people come up to you and I'm never really super annoyed, but when they're sort of fishing for things to talk about and they just come up with these topic of the day and right. sports and it's just like, well, that's not great. But if it's a live event, like you're just reacting to what's happening. So there's nothing that can, you know, that can really bug me. So that, in, you know, in that respect, I do find that, that deeper connection and it's very fulfilling.
0: Well, and in, in some ways, you know, you mentioned a couple different names, but in a lot of ways for me, you have been that person for um, me. And, and what's a funny sort of little connection point here is uh, I interned for one of the shows that you work for, About five years ago now Mm -hmm. and you don't know this story but my first uh, piece that I edited to go on to social media for that uh, for that show was a conversation about who is the face of South Florida sports because Mm -hmm. in the in-between as taping wasn't happening there was a question of oh is it Marino or is it Dwayne Wade and you said Dwayne Wade this was back in 2016 he'd taken over Marino all of that Well, that sort of gave me the confidence to that afternoon call my dad and say, hey, I've been saying this to you for a while now. I think Dwayne Wade has taken over the Dan Marino spot. And it was because someone who I entrusted to give me the information and the analysis on South Florida sports was agreeing with my opinion and, and, and showing me something there. And so that's actually something I want to cycle back around here to you're someone from South Florida. You stayed in Florida to go to the University of Florida, and then you came back down here to cover teams in South Florida. So, two parts of that. Number one, did you always intend to come back to South Florida? Was that always the hope and the goal? And did you always know sports journalism was the path for you? Was that something that that you'd been hoping for since your teen years or was that something that sort of you know shaped later on it's
3: a good question so um i always c- sort of credit my older sister for me being in journalism is because you know going into high school uh didn't really have a great idea of what i wanted to do but i thought a i could pretty much pick anything and do it well <laughs> and <laughs> there B you go. uh or do it well enough you know to sure. make a living i get it and then b um i wanted to be in some classes with my sister, because she was two years older, and at the time it was, high school was just 10th, 11th, and 12th at North Miami okay. Senior High, Pioneers. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and so I'm in 10th grade, she's in 12th grade, and the only class that we can get together is yearbook class. And so she's like the sports editor of the newspaper and the yearbook. Oh,
1: this
0: is
3: great. And so I'm just jumping in there, it's like, all right, so I got a class with my sister, and so, you know, we look around, and like all the, the more responsible students were all like the seniors, and there was, like, a couple of juniors in there, but they didn't really, like, have, um, take pride in, you know, the yearbook or whatever. Sure, sure. Because my sister's best friend also happened to be the editor-in-chief. And um, then there was me, a sophomore, and a couple other sophomores in there. And I had dragged my best friend, Warren, into the into the yearbook thing, too. And so, at the, as the year goes by, the yearbook teacher just basically says um i think you should be the editor next year because nobody else can do it and i was like what i'm just gonna be a junior whatever. As a junior okay. so i was like all right cool and i did that and i did it for two years in a row and um you know i did a lot of other stuff too i did the speech and debate was president of that too and i feel like i was sort of torn i was like well i can go the law route but i feel like because i wanted to be a lawyer but i feel like that was going to be boring sure or at least you know tr- being in a a trial attorney how often are you actually in trial you know it's not like the movies all the time and so i was like all right so i'm not gonna i don't really want to do that so let me just get into journalism because it's something i enjoy and i don't know if like it clicked in terms of sports journalism probably until i actually got to college sure. and i was doing uh going to like city council meetings and stuff you know for class right uh, for journalism reporting class and realizing that i never want to do this <laughs> so i just kind of asked um I'll never forget. Uh, I was in a sports reporting class. It was my junior year, and I hadn't actually done anything towards sports reporting. Um, and Jamie Eisenberg, who's you know yeah. CBS Sports uh, fantasy guru, um, was sitting right next to me, and I'd seen his face uh, from the student newspaper again. Hardly anybody recognizes the bylines, of but course. And and then I saw his faces again because he was a columnist as well. And I asked him. I was like, "Hey, how do you get into uh, this?" The Florida Alligator. And he just said, just come with me after class. I'll walk you over there. Incredible. And then the rest is history. Like I started doing my first assignment was a spring uh, spring soccer match. And, you know, you think, oh, spring soccer in Florida. Yeah. I covered Abby Wambach. Like my right. literally my first assignment was I got to talk to Abby Wambach, who, you know, turned out to be Unreal. one of the greatest women's you know, athletes in this country. And then so go from there, covering the basketball team, Billy Donovan, Udonis Haslam uh, as a freshman, Mike Miller, all those guys, uh, the football team, Steve Spurrier. And that's what I was locked in at that point. I was, it's basically like a professional career because, you know, you've got all the pros from all the other newspapers around the state mm-hmm. uh, just dropping or there every day. And so the goal was, you said the hope and the goal, the hope was to come back to South Florida because my entire family's here. I grew up here. It's what I know. Um, the goal was get a job right <laughs> anywhere and that was kind of the scary part with you know I'd see my friends and you know we'd all talk about where we want to be but mm-hmm. and so I happened to have interned at the Palm Beach post the summer before my last year and and my last semester because I actually went four and a half years because I wanted to stay an extra semester just to cover Steve spurrier and the Gators because I didn't get the chance correct decision the Basketball team <laughs> it was it was great and um, and so that following November uh before I actually graduated I got got a job offer from the Palm Beach Post and it was it was an amazing, you know, opportunity because it was, you know, the northern county but I was still close enough to home and it was it was amazing. So, started off there and it was uh, within 3 weeks this was coming to mind the other day too cuz I was at a Marlins uh Yankees game, the oh, sure. Rizzo's first game where he hit the home run. Mm-hmm. Um I was tr- I covered the 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 Marlins in 2000. It was my first year. I was 22 years old when I started. Uh, and it was a loaded team. Like when you think about it, like it was Derek Lee. It was Mike Lowell. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Alex Gonzalez. It was Luis Castillo. I mean, Mark Cadce, uh Millar, oh, man. I think halfway through the year was called up. Um, he wasn't the greatest uh Hitter ever, but Mike Redmond as the catcher. Yeah, hey, That's just a great guy. The manager. That was an amazing team. That yep. was an amazing team to cover. And it was just, uh, you know, a lot of them went on to be great, win World Series mm-hmm. with this team, other teams. And um, it, I started sort of mixing up the team that I covered and then just teams that I like wrote columns on in, in the future like well like the for, 03 team in particular, I'm sure. Yeah, and I had Matt Clement on the brain. I was like, I'm pretty sure Matt Clement was on the two thousand No, <laughs> he was not on the two thousand team. It was like a year like, or two later or mm-hmm. something like that. But um yeah, that was that was where I started and you know, love Tim Burke and Nick Michella, the editors at the Palm Beach Post, who've given guys like me, Ethan Skolnick, you know, I believe Adam Beasley might have started there as mm-hmm. well. Uh, A lot of great shots and just, you know, sort of slingshotted or springboarded our career. I'm not sure what the uh, (laughs) proper cliche is there, but... And then, you know, from there, it was there to the Miami Herald and the Miami Herald to ESPN. Right. um, You know, I think keeping me local, because ESPN had been trying to get me on board with a bunch of different jobs. You know, they'd offered me like a reporting job based out of Chicago, which wasn't really my favorite idea. But then after LeBron got here and I would written, you know, a good year's worth of columns from the Miami Herald, um, they'd offered me an NBA job and asked me, I can stay there. And I was like, well, that's the perfect opportunity for me. So got to stay home and got those four letters next to my name. And, uh, you know, that's where we are now. So I never really had a goal. I tell people this all the time. Like when I graduated, one of the professors asked me what my goal was for 10 years from now, like, where Mm -hmm. would I want to be in 10 years? And I said, well, I'd want to be a beat writer for an NBA team at a major Metro paper. And I was doing that within 10 months because after the, after Ethan Skolnick left the Palm Beach Post and left the Miami Heat beat open, I was still with the Marlins, and I just asked to make the move, and I made the move, and that was my NBA connection from there. I'm 23 years old.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, now now you've taken that and run with it, obviously. I kind of want to go back to this Marlins stuff, though, for yeah. just a second. That That first season that you covered the Marlins, all of a sudden you go from a college kid who's covering— what turned out to be a bunch of high profile athletes, but at the time were just your peers, mm-hmm. right fellow college kids, and obviously legendary coaches along the way as well but in stepping in as you know a twenty two year old like you just said to to covering a team on a daily basis, what about that experience do you think helped you the rest of the way like were there specific mm-hmm. things about that daily coverage of of a baseball team that was relatively new that had yes won a world series but now was in a little bit of an in-between phase at yeah. that time uh a lot sure <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember when
3: I first got the uh the job basically because they were trying to hire um a Marlins beat writer and they just couldn't find one that they liked and then they offered it to me um I remember I went out and bought like a baseball for dummies book because <laughs> I wanted to like Get the lingo down. Like, is there any sort of jargon that I need to know if mm-hmm. I'm in that clubhouse? And I realized that that was just a bit much, right? Like, uh, just be, just know what you know and admit yep. what you don't, and you know, learn the stuff that you don't. That's great be, advice, though, because right. that's that's huge in this industry. Yeah, you just come across as disingenuous. Um, and so, I, I, what I learned mostly was sort of the fragility of the egos, um, even though they know you, like you, right, Um, anything can change that. And it could be just a comment. Um, And this, I I am embarrassed by this constantly or all the time when I tell the story. But I remember one time, um, I'm I'm sure we can probably just go back and and pinpoint it. we were in Tampa Bay. It was a road trip, I think, pretty maybe close to the All-Star break, uh, but before it. And Derek Lee had had this issue where he just couldn't hit a home run with anybody on base. All his home runs were solo home runs, solo home runs. Okay. I think in this game he finally hits a three run shot, and so it's me, Dave O'Brien, who's now in Atlanta, has been mm-hmm. covering the Braves forever, and Mike Phillips at the time was covering uh, the Marlins for the Herald. And so we're kind of standing there, and I, it's like Mike Lowell's to the left, and they were standing behind Derek Lee, and like Kevin Millar's over here, something like that. And I said to Derek. And with a hundred percent good intentions, oh, no. I said, "What did you do? Just pretend there was nobody on base." Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> because no. it seems like a you know a normal mind trick, right? <laughs> you just tell yourself, "All right, there's nobody on." You know, because people kept asking him about it. It's like, "Oh, are you getting solo home runs?" He's like, "Hey, what are oh, you going do?" Oh, but
0: these—it's no, it's a—it's too and sensitive. And so I
3: immediately hear, "Ooh!" <laughs> like the whole anybody who was within earshot. And I was like, oh, no. And like the other guys, the writers, I felt them like back away and just kind of like leave me there. And then Mike Lowell says, how many home runs you hit in the majors, Izzy? And I'm just like, well, that's not what I meant. And so for like a couple of weeks, I had to like sort of just deal with Derek Lee being standoffish with me. And I thought he got it. Like I thought. Yeah. And I was like, Derek, like, did you really think I was trying to insult you? Like, I'm trying to come in here and be this smart ass kid. And he's like yeah, I thought you were trying to be funny. And I was like, I swear on my life, I was not. I apologize. I was just trying to be your
0: friend. I was just,
3: yeah, it's like, if I were there, if I were, you know, trying to play mind tricks with myself, I'd be like, all right, there's nobody on base, whatever. I'm just going to hit C ball, hit ball. Mm -hmm. So that was my, but that's when I learned, okay, you've really got to be delicate, not because they're bad people or like fragile people. Like I said, for the fragility of the egos, it's just, they're being judged constantly. right? Right. And so you don't realize what that how that weighs on somebody until you see it on them. Like it filtered into the daily conversation. It's just like, oh yeah, you shouldn't have said that because that makes me feel like, you know, I do when I read some criticism in a paper mm-hmm. or see it on TV. So I think I learned that early on and just how how to manage that, how to, for lack of a better term, sort of manipulate that and not, not you know, just create good relationships and understand that, you know, you're there... The, Get across to the athletes and the coaches why you're there and that you are not there to you know to make anything worse for them right you're just there to 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 to, to watch it and you know to record it
0: yeah, I think it, you know our job is to analyze their profession yeah. right so if if people if there was a podcast out there that was analyzing this right now and and telling me every little thing that I was doing wrong. It would be something that any time someone lent some sort, even in a joking way, right. some sort of criticism, I could understand the sensitivity to that. And that's something I think we, especially in a modern social media world, we we don't always think about for these athletes is more so than most professions, other than like maybe politicians, yes. athletes are, are scrutinized on every single move. And so there is an interesting uh, element to developing those re- relationships and maintaining them because They are professional relationships. They're not necessarily friendships. And so you have to sort of be able to dive in between one or the other. And you talked about sort of fragile egos. Well, you also covered the heat big three. Mm -hmm. And I would not call any of those egos fragile egos by any means, although maybe you have a different experience than I do. (laughs) Uh, But obviously covering the big three in the Miami Heat is a different experience than covering the 2000 Marlins. When we talk about the names that were there, that's not to dispute. We just talked about how great those careers were, but it's obviously two different things. The thing I'm most intrigued about having covered the big three and what I want to know from you is, is more the stuff that that maybe we didn't understand about what the dynamics had to be like between the media and the players, right? Because that team was so heavily scrutinized. We talk about it all the time that I don't know that there will be another team that is scrutinized in the specific way that that team was because of what they were doing and the way they were changing the game. And we all saw it happening in front of us. So we talk about LeBron, Bosh, Wade, and then all the other egos who were there too, right? These weren't Ray Allen shows up, Shane Battier shows up, Udonis Haslam's a part of that, a a guy with obviously a huge personality. What were those dynamics like between media and team at that time?
3: You know, it was... It was interesting because you had like it was almost like two different teams where if you're talking to you know the Richard Lewises, the Shane Battier's, mm. the Mario Chalmers, it felt normal you know yeah. it's a little more crowded than it would have been had they were you know been on the Sacramento Kings, but sure. um, those felt normal, but then when you got to the big three, it was it was you know it, it was just a bigger deal, right It was an act all upon itself, um, whether it be practice, whether it be post game, and I think the relationship was early on because of that bad boy, that villain aspect that they had. Most, you know, notably LeBron. Um, I think there was a little bit of tension there, um, but and this is why, like, he gets doesn't get enough credit for what happened with everything. But Dwayne was also the middleman for that. Like mm. he so. Everybody else felt new, whether it even was Eric Spolstra, who'd been around a few years, but, you know, hadn't had any sort of spotlight on him like this. It's just first round, you know, f- right. Playoff coach. We all remember um, nine and eight.
0: We all remember. Right.
3: <laughs> you know, and all the other guys that were new to this organization because it was pretty much a clean slate uh, outside of, you know, a couple of a rookie here and a veteran there. Um, he and Udottis has them as well, but he was the middleman that kept everything sort of from boiling over, right? He just kind of kept everything steady. And then as, you know, they got to, into more of a routine and sort of understood the South Florida media versus the national media because that was a differentiating thing too. Right. Um, uh, and I think, you know, you got they got into more of a rhythm and then it was just sort of a, a team feel, a team uh, energy that they were putting out. But early on, it was just... It was a lot of feeling out. You know, LeBron felt like the bad guy. And I think Dwayne um, should get a lot more credit for that, for just making Hmm. everybody comfortable in that environment because he knew us. He knew, meaning the media. He knew, obviously, his teammates. He knew the organization. and He was just kind of the center of that universe. And, you know, he did a great job with it. And, you know... um, Whenever things got overly emotional, he was always, he seemed to have sort of the middle of the road type of response to it, um, not over the top. You know, Chris did at times, Chris Bosh, you know, admitted to, I think crying in the locker room or yep. getting super emotional. LeBron was obviously heated because the pressure of the world was on him. So I think he definitely helped a lot sort of create that, that quality relationship between the team and the media because it was tough. You're right. It was everything that LeBron said would be dissected and turned into some story you know, on eight different shows. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
0: and criticized, mostly criticized. Right. Yeah, I mean to to have those dynamics we talk about Dwayne Wade as, as a leader within the community, but he was a leader on that team in more ways than one. And I think that when you talk about those dynamics between media and player and the way that they've shifted over the years, right? Cuz now we have social media as a means, you mentioned it before, for sort of players and teams to get that message out on their own. So relationships need to evolve that way. And and I think in a lot of ways, that team was probably the guinea pig on a lot of those things, right? Because the media dealing with, hey, we're tweeting out quotes now, right? And Because P- that was when Twitter was around. Yeah. And so literally as it starts, we're tweeting out quotes and these quotes are getting misconstrued or misused. Or, and in the moment, there's reaction to that. And so I, I think I've always been intrigued by the dynamics of, of those teams. But now we'll move to, to the modern day heat. And obviously, they made some pretty big moves. I'm actually going to ask you to put your basketball analyst hat on here for it, for just, just a second. Pretend. Yeah, we can just pretend. <laughs> uh, they had Kyle Lowry. They had P.J. Tucker. Obviously, uh, Mark and Morris, you know, we, we, we talk about these, these players that have been added to the Miami Heat and everything that they can bring. What do you see the differences being between last year's team and, and maybe the upgrades that they made now, how that can, can affect the team going forward?
3: Um. One thing I think it's a it's a grittier uh, defensive team when you start with Kyle Lowry at the top. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing against Goron; Goron did what he could, but um, it's just it's a different level of sort of defensive, not commitment, but just kind of IQ, yes. right? Uh, when you can take the charges the way Kyle Lowry can, and I think uh, that to me is huge. I think the passing gets can get a little bit better uh, when it starts with a better passer at the top, like Kyle Lowry, and again Goron. Nothing against him, but, you know, his whole career has been essentially go get your buckets. And right. he wasn't the greatest passer. And I think I know there was some frustration with like Hassan Whiteside a lot of times <laughs> where he didn't get the right pass on that pick and roll with Goran. And I think with Kyle, you're going to get better passing. Um, I still think you're going to have that um, that big question marker issue with the four spot. Sure. Because I think initially, uh, from what I understood, they were targeting Nicholas Batum as that small ball mm-hmm. four um and i think he would be ideal cuz he's just so long and frankly can protect the rim if he happens to be down there. Sure. Um and can shoot a little bit. PJ Tucker, i like that sort of backup plan if you will. Just doesn't have the same length and ability to do anything at the rim, but he's just, you know, a tree trunk down there and, and just bulldog. Yeah, and so I, I like i like him as an addition. Um i would say overall i don't know if you're going to see much um difference in terms of style of play I think you're going to see a little bit uh, a lot of connection I think you're going to see a little bit more energy a little bit more um, just that Jimmy Butler just kind of dog vibe uh, that sort of uh, goes through Kyle Lowry as well but I I, me personally Mm -hmm. like I think there's a little bit of joy missing from that team last year and I don't know if it was um, because of all the COVID stuff that just sort of sucked it out of Um, of every team, frankly, for a while, especially with with Jimmy going down for as long as it did. I I think that in itself is probably going to be picked up a little bit, and you'll probably see a little bit more. And and the crowds being around are going to help, right? So I think that you'll see translate into, yeah, I think a little bit more juice from this team. I don't really know how to describe it other than, um you know a little bit more of men on a mission type of stuff not Mm -hmm. a surprising team like they were a couple years ago
0: and I think it's an interesting dynamic too you know in, in the way that you mentioned it with with sort of that joy coming back and I guess that sort of wraps us back around to the beginning of this conversation but this team in particular you know they went through so much together in in that bubble and they were around each other so much in that bubble and I do think that like there's an element of sometimes personalities wearing on each other. All the little things that maybe are going okay when you're in the bubble and everything's going well basketball-wise, maybe start to wear on you in a season like last year. And so sometimes just bringing in some fresh faces and working with some new people can rejuvenate your own profession and and make you enjoy your game more.
3: Absolutely. And I also think just uh, you know, off-seasons can really be nerve-wracking for a lot of teams Mm -hmm. that are trying to improve, like Tyler Hero, um, probably had no idea whether he'd be on this roster right now, yep. right? But now, if you look at things, because, you know, there's all these reports, oh, maybe the relationships with Tyler and other players weren't as good this year, or this and this and that. Now you look at this picture, oh, and there was a, another report that he was um, very likely, let's say three quarters likely, yeah. to, uh, to get traded. Uh-huh. Um, now you look at him, and, okay, he's not going anywhere. They have built a team where he can still be uh, effectively that sixth man World scorer. Um, and he's having a child. Mm -hmm. You know, he's probably going to want a little bit more you know, stability of feeling, which is crazy to say when he's, what, 22 years yeah, old? Yeah, he's a child. But he,
0: he, he <laughs> can grow himself. up
3: like that. You yeah, know what I'm saying? absolutely. He can grow up like that, and it could be a totally different player, a different mentality going into this year. And frankly, I, you know, I would welcome that. I would I would expect that when you have a life-changing event like that. Absolutely. And, and frankly, again, the fear of, not, of instability, right? I might be in, you know, Philadelphia next week. I might be in this city. Oh, no, I'm still home. I still, you know, I still have this life, you know, awesome event that's about to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, basketball is going to be fun. And so I think, you know, he probably is going to have a good year. So I I think little things like that, you just
0: don't really take into account until, you know, they actually happen and you see it play out. Right. And then that's when we get to tell all the stories retroactively to sort of look at it going into it and go, hey, these are human beings. Right. What's going on in their lives? What what professional decisions did they just make? What personal decisions did they just make? Those are part of the factor that go into teams winning championships. Sure. And so when you ultimately kind of look at things, I, I guess the Heat are are in a new spot for sure when you look at all of them. And, and even Bam bio who's now a gold medal, medal right. winning center, which certainly changes how that he felt probably after the playoffs, yep. right? That shifts things too. So, And
3: actually, it's very – and getting back to the Tyler thing, yeah. it's just a family first organization. Yes, it is. So – a 22 year old can have a connection point with the coach who is, yep. you know, in his 50s because they both have young children or, so, you know, so mm-hmm. it's just
0: like it's a different level of growth, you know, together. No, that's a great point. And so uh, this is going to be my final question for you, Izzy. Thank you so much for taking all this time. I, we've talked a little bit about sort of your growth through this business, where you started, where you're at now. To someone who is in college, whether that's a UF student, whether that's a UCF student, whether that's somebody not here in the state of Florida, advice toward young people thinking about getting into this business, and it could be stay away if yeah. that's how you feel as well. But if there's if there's one piece of advice that, that you think you would give to, to a young person considering getting into this industry, what would it be? It's
3: funny you should mention that because I was just talking the other night and Again, I think this might have to do with um, a Top Chef uh, rerun. <laughs> I just I get, I get uh, there you go. a little caught up in that show right now. But I remember thinking because one of the chefs was saying something like, "I don't really know what to tell a young chef because the game has completely changed." And to me, I'm just saying to myself, "You know what? I got oh, quote unquote lucky, or whatever. But I got lucky. I was in it, you know, while it was still sort of a path that I could I could follow." And if it were, you know, 1999, I could recommend that same sure. path. But right now and, and like at the time I was just kind of joking, say I already made it. You guys can you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I would just say um, the best thing I could tell people is be versatile in terms of what they can do, you know, because I came up as a writer and that's all I really cared about. But once I recognized, hey, I might be able to do some TV, I might be able to do some radio. Um, you know, just be prepared to be versatile and um, do anything. Because if it's the subject that gets you going, mm-hmm. then you can be involved in it any different way. If it's broadcasting that gets you going, then just perfect your craft. And right. because there's still um, a, you know, there's still a, a target for that, you can say, "Hey, I want to be the play-by-play guy for the Atlanta Hawks." All sure. right, so I'm just going to work toward that um but if it's the subject if it's sports or a team um that i would say be versatile find ways to get involved and then you know the path will sort of be created after that like i i think of you know if i were to go back and advise anybody even back when i was younger i would say yeah uh, probably freelance for a newspaper mm. you know get a couple clips out there and then you know maybe somebody will hire you, but now it's just like newspapers aren't going <laughs> to do that. You know, am I going to what are you going to do? Send your clips to the athletic? I mean, I guess, but they're probably going to hire more established yeah. writers. So it's 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 a tough it's a tough situation. Now, what I'm not entirely familiar with is some of the podcasting world, some of the broadcasting, uh, you know, some of the newer ways to get your writing out yeah because like you you probably get people that just says hey if you want to write something write it and just tweet it and and hope that somebody you know of significance picks it up and says hey this is really good and then gives you more attention so in that world i am very much a novice in the hey look at me world so uh i wouldn't really know how to advise there but at least versatility that's the key for sure for sure. I, I believe, like I said, if, if it's the if it's the subject, if it's just the idea of working in sports or sports media, um, then yes, versatility is absolutely. Like I think of um, like Jonathan Zaslow from local radio. Like mm. I remember when I was just a, a, a writer at the Palm Beach Post and he would show up and he was so enthusiastic to meet me, some stupid beat writer from some, you know, the third newspaper locally. <laughs> and I was like, man, this guy really loves this team, really yep. loves South Florida sports. And like, Hopefully he stays. And look at him; he's had a he's career for incredible. twenty years. Right. So I think passion, passion
0: first, and you know versatility from there. Well, Izzy, thank you so much for joining us. For everyone who is looking to find your work, obviously they can do so on ESPN. Do you want to direct people to any of your social channels, or would you prefer to keep away from social media for the time being? You can uh,
3: follow me on Instagram. It's Mr. Iz Gutierrez, M R I Z Gutierrez. Uh, that's about it. I mean, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm just not very active over there. It yeah, is Gutierrez. Well,
0: and next time we'll get into my favorite thing about your Instagram, which is your flag football team. If, uh, if you yes. would be so willing to come back, we'll just do a full segment just on your Absolutely. flag football league. We can I would do, love that to do that after
3: October when we come back from our, our latest
0: tournament. Oh, that'll be great. I actually would love to do that. All right. <laughs> Sounds great, Izzy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks again to Israel Gutierrez for joining us today. And thanks again to all of you for listening to the very first episode of Bally Sports Florida's Miami mic Up with Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on our full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.